spend our time on this earth? And how should we be living? What is our identity? How many know that, that people go around all the time trying to search who they are, their identity, and trying to find myself? We would run into that a lot in Hana because people would constantly be trying to find their identity, find who they are. And they would come there and, and they would get more messed up trying to figure out who they were because they'd get tied up with the wrong people, get tied up with, uh, you know, somebody that they, they didn't come with hardly anything. They end up working the land for some other guy and, and shacking up with all kinds of people on drugs and they leave with demons rather than uh, leaving. Sometimes these were nice people that came. They were just seriously just trying to figure themselves out, figure out why they were created. Why am I here on earth? And then they leave, and you see them three months later, and they're a mess, you know? And so many times we would pray with these people, get them saved, but they didn't have transportation. They lived up in the jungle. You didn't know where they were at half the time. No. It was a mess. But this morning, and for the next few weeks, I want to get into a series on kings and priests. Kings and priests. So I want you to turn to Revelation <laughs> chapter 1. And I'm going to read verses 5 and 6, and this is going to be kind of the theme scripture over the next few weeks. Revelation 1, 5, 5 and 6. And it was interesting, if you were here when Pastor Austin Jones was here, he went right into this. And I, and I kind of laughed because I told him afterwards, I said, Pastor Austin, I said, you just completely gave the introduction to what the next series was going to be that I, that I am getting ready to go into. So I thought that was awesome. God's just uh, preparing the, the path there. But Revelation 1, verses 5 and 6. And let's open up in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you are the one that gives us our identity, that we don't have to go searching for our identity, Lord, but you have given us our identity. You give us your word to know who we are. So I pray, Father, this morning that there will be a revelation in the hearts of men and women here today, that they will find out if they don't already know this, but Lord, if they do, I pray that there's deeper levels of understanding and revelation this morning in, in the fact that you call them kings and priests. So Father, I pray that even as your word goes out this morning, that it always goes out with power and it, and it produces the fruit that it was sent to produce. We thank you for that. And we thank you, Father, for the fruit of this seed this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I heard uh, Miss Christine downstairs just a little bit ago. Did you guys hear all the, all the kids downstairs? Yeah. And I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask my, my people this morning, are you ready for the word of God? Yeah!
Isn't that powerful? We are washed with his blood, but also in that, what he's saying is we are unbound from sin. So when, when he's talking about that, that's like key to what we're getting ready to go into. Because if we're a king and a priest, we've got to understand who our identity is. We are unbound from sin. We are released from the bondage of sin. Hallelujah. Through the blood of Jesus Christ. So then he goes on and he says he has made us, say, has made, has made made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Has made us kings and priests. This is a past tense statement. This is not a statement of he will make us later on in the, you know, in the next reign even though we will be kings in those times too. But he says, has made us, has made us, past tense. He has made us kings and priests. And even over this next series, I want you to begin to see yourself as such. I want you to begin to see yourself that I am a king for God. I am a priest that serves God. And so how we represent God is very, very important. And he's giving us a, a very a very important piece of our identity here, which is kingship, rulership, and a priesthood. In fact, he says that he has made us a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And if you think about that, you think about a nation. You know, a nation, when you think of a nation, it's a it's a kingdom of people and they have a king, right? That that nation has a king that, that they are uh behind and that king is ruling that nation he has made us a nation we have a a king but he has also made us kings why is that because kings beget kings if you look at anything in this world every seed bears fruit after its own kind that's the system that god set up you don't ever plant In fact, even to the point that if you plant a tomato seed, you're not going to get another type of vegetable or fruit. You're going to get the exact same type of fruit that was planted, which was the tomato seed. You look at any animal. A cat is going to bear cats. A dog is going to bear dogs. Elephants are going to bear elephants. So why would it be any different if he created us but made us the slum of the earth. Would we be representing him? Because many times, in fact, I was teaching in the Bible class the other day, and I said, you know, the whole idea with false humility, was that in here or in the Bible class? Was it when we talked about false humility? I can't remember. Yeah. <clears throat> and I said, you know, a lot of times people think of false humility and they don't think of it, they just they respond in false humility, but it's a false humbleness. And most of the time people think, well, that's not me. That, that wouldn't be me, but false humility is, is a humbleness, but it's the wrong kind of humbleness. It's a putting down of yourself to make it look more righteous. Well, no, I, I can't do that. In fact, 
I'll give you an example. If God has called you to do something or has told you to do something, but you say, well, I'm not equipped to do that. I can't do that. No, Lord, I'm not doing it. That's false humility. Because you're not fulfilling the calling that he has told you to do, the, the very act, the, the action, the activity that he's called you to, because you're putting yourself down saying you're not qualified when he's called you qualified. Yeah. When he's told you and called you to do it, and called you into that place, but you're saying, no, I don't have the resources. I don't have the, the uh, personality. I don't have the character for it. I don't have the experience for it. That's a type of false humility. And so if we are walking around putting ourselves down, we're putting down the very masterpiece that God created. Amen. In fact, he says that he has created you as his masterpiece, prepared in advance for good works. Amen. Prepared in advance. That means he already knows your calling, your future, what he's put into you. He knows what you're supposed to carry out. He knows who you are. He created that. He put that in you. In fact, he put everything in you that you need Amen. in order to become who he's called you to be. Amen. It just has to be activated. It has to be uh, worked up. It has to be cultured. It has to be taught. And that's the thing. We come into Christ and we become a new creature. But most Christians don't renew their mind. So they come into Christ and they say, yes, I'm saved. Yes, I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. But they never get into the process of renewing the mind, which means taking the word of God and that becoming your standard and removing anything else that's not lining up with the word of God. So traditions, old thoughts, the way people have taught you in the past, things that do not line up with the word of God, and false humility is one of those big things. Humbleness is of God, but not false humbleness. There's a huge difference. Because people can even look, and if you're confident, they'll, they'll be like, well, that's arrogance. No, not necessarily. Because God wants his people to be confident. But it's not a confidence in yourself. It's a confidence in who he is in you and through you. So even at times, you can sit there and allow the fear of, of the enemy to, to play in your mind and in your head. Well, you're not good enough. You don't have enough. You don't have enough experience. You don't have the resources. You don't have this. And look at this person. You don't compare to them. And all of these fear statements can run through your mind. That's the enemy. And go, okay, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. That's the same thing as what the Israelites did when they said they came back with a bad report. And they said, we can't go into the land. We're like grasshoppers in the eyes of these giants. Fear. Unbelief. And God called it a sin. And he said, you'll never enter into the rest of my promise because of unbelief. And, you know, a few years back, whenever I read that scripture and I thought, unbelief is sin. He hates unbelief. Like, it angers him. Unbelief angers him. It made me, like, uh, really switch my thinking around faith. Because I thought, man, if he looks at that and any time I don't step out when he's told me to do something, or if I'm being held back and paralyzed by fear, he's not happy with that. You know, we look at that and go, oh, I understand, yeah. You know, I know, it's scary. And, and we'll pat people on the back for that and we'll coddle them for that. God gets upset. Because we're not trusting in him, we're looking at ourselves. In fact, we're, we're, we're placing everything on us and saying, 
I'm the one that has to be capable. I'm the one that has to produce. I'm the one that has to be full of everything to be able to do that. But God says that he's the one that will equip you. He's the one that will put these things. He's the one that will make a way. He's the one. Do you think the Israelites felt it whenever they went on the battlefield with trumpets and, and instruments and began singing? Like that's the craziest battle plan. Well, we're going to go out there and we're going to sing our way through this, guys. Come on. <laughs> Singing about how great the Lord is and his love and his mercy endures forever. Come on, guys. Let's sing. But then the Lord wipes them out. And they go in and they take the spoils. And it took them three days to get the spoils. But if they would have feared, they would have never went and trusted God. They would have operated in fear. They would have been paralyzed. Because you have to see yourself as operating with the power of God. You have to see yourself as God backing you and coming in as you're going in. But he's not going to step ahead of you and clear the way and then you begin to step out. God always waits to see if you're going to step and be obedient. And then he begins to line the things up as you step. That's called faith. That's what faith is. That's the whole reality of faith right there. Because if he cleared the way and, and made a way before you ever took a step, that's the opposite of faith. That requires no faith at all. Oh, yeah, it's all perfect now. Now I can go. All the security is there. Everything I need is there. Everybody's rooting for me, telling me, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's easy to do it now. That requires no faith. No trust in God. So even as he says, you are a king and a priest to his God and Father. A king and a priest. And as we are looking at these passages over the next few weeks, I really want you to meditate on your identity being in him and what he has called you to be. A king and a priest. And we'll go through certain things that, that kings do and kings don't do. Because I want you to see, because we, we all have these tendencies that, that go along with, you know, uh, even how our culture has raised us up to be with a lot of false humility. And our, uh, the way we think about God. How God wants us to come before his throne room. And how God wants us to act and be. But you're talking to people that have, have, most of the time, never studied the word of God. They just have certain things that they're throwing out there because they heard grandpa say it one time. But it, it, it's not biblical. But yet we'll live life that way thinking it's scripture, or some <clears throat> meme that went across social media that sounds scriptural, that isn't at all. Well, that sounds nice. That sounds comforting. That has no power at all. It might be relating to your feelings, but it's not doing anything in the spirit at all. Let's turn to Luke 22. Luke 22. Verse 29. 
You know, even as I was saying that kings beget kings, kings produce kings. Kings are not going to produce people with poor mentalities and people that do not think highly of themselves. We're not supposed to think highly of ourselves, but what I'm saying is we need to have a, a healthy God image of ourselves. And even in Genesis 1, 26 through 28, when, it, when God is saying, let us create man in our image. You know that word image means to be a cutout or a shadow? If, there, if, if I have my hand up and it's producing a shadow under this light, it's producing the exact form or cutout shadow of the actual version. You ever do the bunny you know, the bunny shadows? Well, you don't put your hand up there and make a bunny shadow and then a wolf appears. You know, it's, it's in the same exact form as what you put up. We are a shadow. It's his breath into him. Man is created and we are given, we are actually a new creation when we come into Christ. So that's the, that's the flip in our thinking that has to happen. That we are a new creation in Christ. So that's why the renewal of the mind has to happen. The way we see ourselves through God's eyes has to begin to transform. Luke 22, verses 29. This is him talking to his disciples. And he says, I bestow upon you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one upon me. I bestow on you a kingdom. He's saying, I confer to you a kingdom. I appoint to you a kingdom. Just as my father appointed to me. My father gave me responsibility for a kingdom and I am now giving that to you. I am appointing to you the rulership and the authority. That's why he said you will have you will receive power because we have to have power in order to have kingship. We can't be a king without power. You can't have a powerless king. When you think of a king, he, you know, and we can get wrong ideas of what a king is by by watching movies of evil kings. Because we'll, we'll oftentimes think of a king as, well, they're, they're uh, arrogant or they're abusive and they take a, a complete, um, they're, they're cruel to their subjects. You know, they're abusive to the people under them. But or Satan perverts everything. So the way, the way uh, that type of a kingship is seen is completely wrong. A good king, a loving king, is going to be one that looks after his subjects and does things for the best of his subjects, for the best of the people under him. He's going to love them. He's going to create a kingdom that is, that is wonderful, not one that is abusive, not one that is going to take advantage of the subjects. And if we are given a kingdom that we have to take that responsibility seriously. And in fact, many times we wonder why our worlds are being torn apart. You know, even as, as we were in service on Wednesday, I was sitting there and I was, I was just, you know, the Lord was showing me some things that, you know, first 
There's kind of like three areas of influence, three areas of reign that we have in our lives. And one is ourself. Ourself. We have to have rule and reign over our own bodies. Self-government, so to speak. We have to be able to keep our own lives in check. To make sure that we are walking a walk of holiness. Walking a, a righteous life. That is self-government. That we keep ourselves accountable and in check. And when the Holy Spirit tells us to, to quit doing something or to move over here in an area, then we listen to him. It's, a, it's an area of self-discipline. That's ruling our own life. The second is our family. Whoever we're responsible for. Men that are head of your homes. You're responsible for your families. You're responsible for, for the direction of your home. The protection of your home. Moms have that responsibility as well, over the home, over the children. And then the third is community, church, ministry, business, the realm of outside, the realm of being able to influence outside of yourself. Now the thing is, if we are not living the way God tells us to live and by his instructions and by the way he tells us to live, then those worlds will be messed up. And we'll be producing uh, maybe even fruit from the enemy. Or we'll be operating according to the enemy's ways and not God's ways. And then we're wondering why things are falling apart or things are crumbling. Go to Isaiah real quick. Isaiah, I think it's 30. Yeah, 30 chapter, or chapter 30, verse 12. Because I think many times people just think that God is just waiting and sitting on his throne and he's ruling everything. God is sovereign, but he has given the earth to man. So we wonder why things are happening sometimes, but it's because we are not stepping up as rulers and in authority and as priests, which we'll get to the, the priests, because priests have to sacrifice. Priests are a sacrifice. That's our priesthood. We sacrifice ourselves on the altar. So as we are being obedient in that sense, where we're laying ourselves as a, as a sacrifice on the altar, a living sacrifice, then that means we're moldable. And he's able to steer us. And he's able to speak to us. He's able to tell us how to live our lives and what to do in this situation and how to rule and reign and to do it his way. But as a king, he has given us authority. Now here... I want you to see this in uh, Isaiah 30, verse 12. It says, Therefore, thus saith the Holy One of Israel, because you despise this word and trust in oppression and perversity. Trust in oppression and perversity and rely on them. Boom. I know many people have been last on me. I don't, I don't rely on perversity. You know what perversity is? It's a wayward way of thinking. The wrong way of thinking. When Jesus said, oh, you perverse generation. What he was saying is you're not thinking right. You're not thinking the way God thinks. You're thinking in this way over here. And you're applying no faith whatsoever. You're not thinking God's thoughts. You're thinking your thoughts. 
So he's saying perversity in the sense of wayward thinking, the wrong way of thinking something. And he says, because you have trusted in oppression and perversity, in wrong ways of thinking, the world's ways of thinking and the world's ways of doing things. And you've trusted in oppression. And, and we go, oh, that's not me. That's horrible. I would never trust in oppression. But how many times do we trust in the very thing that's holding us down? Because we look at that as our source. Or we look at that as our, you know, my employer asked me to, to do this, and I don't feel right about it. We had a, we had a girl in our, in our church in Hana, and she was, um, she was working at the hotel. She was responsible for the HR department. She was responsible for uh, when she got the job, because she actually moved there to, to help us with the, the ministry and to help with things there with the church plant from Boston. And when she moved and she took the job, she found a lot of things in their system that was wrong. A lot of cover-up, a lot of uh, false things that were in the books, a lot of health coverage that shouldn't have been covered, things that, things that were completely wrong. And she's like, I can't, I can't like put my stamp of approval on that. I'm over this now and I, I can't allow this. Because she had the gut check, the Holy Spirit, that I can't lie about this. There were things that she had to, to go to her bus and say, hey, this is wrong. And I know this girl, she's, she's been in HR most of her life. So she's had to do this time and time and time again where she goes into, into a, an organization or a business and it's some they they were hiding things, they were they were shoving things over in the corner, covering it up, and they didn't want it to be found, and they're like, oh, just ignore it. Don't worry about it. You know, that was the last, the last boss, you know, it's just kind of slipped through, it's still that way, whatever. She's like, no, I can't. And she's had people turn on her because of it. The world's ways, the world's systems. Oppressed. Because your job, once you to, to, to work on the Lord's day and you say, okay, because you're trusting in what? The system. Trusting in the employer. Trusting in the money because, well, God can't, can't bring me a better salary. So I have to trust in the world system to bring it to me. I have to trust in the world's way to bring it to me. That's what it's meaning. The very thing that oppresses us, we can very easily trust in. So he says, because of this, like a breach, sorry, 13, therefore this iniquity shall be to you like a breach, like a gap in the wall, like a hole in the wall, ready to fall, a bulge in a high wall whose breaking comes suddenly and in an instant. He's saying when you trust in the world's ways, when you trust in the other system other than God's system, there's a breach and it can cause the, your, your world, whether it's yourself, whether it's your, your home, or whether it's your business, community, ministry, whatever it is that you're running. It can cause a gap and it can cause the thing to, to crumble, to fall. Right. And he's saying, you, you wonder why things are the way they are. But are you trusting in the world, the world's ways? Are you seeking God's wisdom on it? 
And in fact, it's interesting because in verse 15, he says, for the Lord says, for thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning in rest, you shall be saved. He says, when you return back to me and you rest in faith, you rest in my promises, that's when you find your salvation. And I don't mean salvation as in, yes, it means salvation being saved, but it also means salvation in everything that salvation encompasses. Deliverance, prosperity, uh, healing, restoration, all of the things that, that salvation encompasses, when you return to me and find rest in my promises, then you'll find salvation. You'll find your, your breakthrough. You'll find that, that things begin to turn. You'll find your deliverance. And it says, in quietness and confidence shall be your strength. But you would not, he said. And you said, no, for we will flee on horses. Therefore, you shall flee. And we will ride on swift horses. Therefore, those who pursue you shall be swift. One thousand shall flee at the threat of one. And at the threat of five, you shall flee. Till you are left as a pole on the top of a mountain and as a banner on a hill. He's saying, I'm giving you away. But you chose not to. And you said, no, we're going to run. We're going to run in fear. It's just like through this whole COVID thing, through the whole thing. We stood from the very beginning on the word of God, on the word of God, because the word of God does not change. Amen. The word of God is unshakable. The word of God is always truth. So when the report comes out that we're all going to die, I'm sorry, and the governor says there's going to be so many dead bodies and we're all dying off and, and the, all of West Virginia is going to be killed. I don't believe that. Amen. Because we, were, we believe in the report of the Lord. Amen. And when they say, close your church, and God says, do not forsake the gathering of the believers, then we don't close. We go by the word of the Lord. We do not, we are not governed. That's what I mean. A different kingdom. We're not governed by the world's kingdom. We're not governed by the world's way of doing things. We're not governed by ungodly men. So as a king, you got to know who you serve. He is called the king of what? Kings. Kings. The Lord of Lords. Who do you think he's talking about? The King of Kings. Because we are going to rule and reign with him. The kings of this world, they'll eventually come to nothing. And if they're not serving God, they'll be in hell. Destroyed forever. But who continues to exist? Those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who rule and reign with him. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. A lord rules over something as well. Amen. That's you and me. He is the king of kings. The Lord of lords. Little L. Are you seeing yourself a little differently? Yes. You are cut out of his image. You are to resemble him. So in everything that you do, the situations you're in, 
the decisions you make, how would God want me to represent him in this? Would he want me to run? Would he want me to, to quit gathering with the believers? Would he want me to get offended? Would he want me to, to get mad at my brother and sister in Christ? Would he want me to act like a jerk? Would he want me to... Now, there are times that there will be a, a righteous anger that will well up inside of you for a purpose and a cause. But you still operate within God's law of be angry and sin not. There are times he will make you stand for something. There are times that you draw the line and you say no because you're dealing with the enemy. You're not dealing with the person. There are times when you do have to have to stand. And it's not about you being unloving. It's about you standing to protect whatever it is you have authority over. Amen. Your home, your own life, your business, your ministry, your church. Because if you don't stand and if you move the boundary, if you move the marker, the enemy's going to be laughing about it. Because he's not going to care. He's a thief. He doesn't play by the rules. He doesn't go, oh, was it your turn? I'm sorry, here's the guy. He doesn't care. He's a cheater. He steals. He kills. He looks for a weakness so he can come in and, and take advantage of it. You gotta understand who your enemy is and you gotta get mad at him and not think that it's people because you put a face on it and it looks all nice and go, oh, that's not that's not the enemy. <laughs> That person is not the enemy. But that thought could be. That image could be that they threw your way. That, that idea could be that they came up with. That comment that they made could be. How does God use people? Does he just come down and say, oh, I saw, John, that you tithe and you gave your offering, so here, I'm going to give this to you. This is your blessing. Here's your reward. Does he come down personally and do that? No. No. He uses people, right? He's got to use a vessel. The enemy does the same thing. It comes through people. So it's not about, well, that person, they're a Christian. Yes, they could be a Christian. They don't know that they're speaking something that you're not supposed to be doing. It's not all just ungodly men and women. Sometimes people are Christians, but they don't have a filter. And they'll say whatever comes into their head and throw it out there. So you've got to guard yourself. Is this how God wants me to see this? Is this how he wants me to rule over this? Is this how he wants me to reign my home? Is this how he wants me to reign my life and rule my life? Love you guys. Love you. Let's finish up by going to Romans 8. I'm really just trying to take my time with this because this is so important. In the last days, if we are going to take territory, if we are going to make an impact on this nation, and if we are going to keep the things of God instilled. The reason the reason the church hit such backlash across the world was because much of the church did not stand. And they, they picked up their boundaries. 
and said, oh yeah, we gotta, we gotta mask up and we gotta be afraid. Let's move <laughs> back here. Okay, we'll, we'll lay new boundary lines right there. The very thing that God's told the Israelites in the Old Testament not to do. Do not move the boundary stones of your fathers. I laid the boundary lines, you keep them there. And you fight for them. Amen. You don't allow the enemy to come in and steal it. Right. Mm -hmm. Amen. <clears throat> Romans 8. Verse um, 14. But before I read 14, I want to give you an, another verse. In John 1.12, it says, As many as received him, he gave them the power to become the sons of God. As many as received him, as many as received his, Jesus Christ, the word of God. He gave them the power to become sons of God. Adopted sons of God. That word sons means, it's, in Greek, it's technon. But it means adopted in. It means a, a, a son of my, um, that I've had. A son that I've had. But understand, in Romans 8, 14, I want you to listen to this. It says, for as many are, are as led by the Spirit of God, those are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. That word in verse 14, that word sons, when it says, as many are as led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, that word sons is huels, a Greek word huels, which means also sons and a son that looks like his father. I don't mean just look as an image, but look as in how they represent, how they become, how they handle situations, because they, they take the word of God and they act it out. They're a doer of the word, not just a hearer only. So you can be a son by being born into the kingdom. And in fact, when, when Jesus was telling Nicodemus, he said, you can't see the kingdom of God unless you be born again. And that born again, because Nicodemus is like, well, how can we go into our mother's womb and be born again? That doesn't make any sense. Because Nicodemus was thinking physically. But Jesus said, no, born again, meaning from above. That's what that means. Born again from above, a citizen of heaven. So when he said to be born again, he's saying you're becoming a citizen of heaven. You are born again of heaven, not of this earth. You are actually becoming a citizen of heaven, a representation of heaven. So when he goes into this passage and he says if you're led by the Spirit of God and you are actually uh, allowing him to mold you, speak to you, and speak faith to you and you receive it, you receive the inner persuasion of faith when you hear it and then you act on it, you are becoming whales of God. The ones that look like him because you act like him. That's different. 
Because you can have you can have children in the natural, right? Yeah. And one, we were watching uh, the kids and I were watching a movie the other evening, and one son was like totally rebellious, complete, like just rebellious against his father, went out into the world, did his own thing, and the other one was more humble, humble-natured. Even when he didn't necessarily agree with his dad, he was humble. Two different sons he had. But one looked more like the father, and the other went a completely different way, even though they were both sons. They were both birthed out of him, but different characters and how they acted. So God says, if we allow ourselves to be led by the Spirit of God, then we are becoming sons of God, hoeos of God, the ones that resemble him, the ones that act like him, the ones that take a situation and we say, Lord, how do you want me to deal with this? Okay, I'll, I'll stand. I'll be firmly planted. I won't move then. I'll stand on your word. Even though this is coming at me, I'll stand on your word. I'll be diligent. I'll push through. Even though I'm, I'm not feeling it because my flesh is wet to quit, but I'll push through because your word says so. I'll believe. I'll believe even whenever I know that beyond all hope, I'll believe. Sons of God. I want to finish up with this. Most of us know the, the story of the prodigal son, right? I'm not going to have you turn there. But the story of the prodigal son. And it's interesting because, you know, the prodigal son, he goes out, he lives a wayward life. You know, they're, both of them are given their inheritance. In fact, if you look at that parable in, in about the second uh, scripture, that parable, it says that the father gave them both their inheritance. One goes out and squanders it. The other has his inheritance. And he continues to work. He stays, he stays there on the farm. He stays there and he's diligent. He stays there and he listens to God. He's obedient. But when the prodigal son finally comes to the end of his, end of his rope, he's eating in the slops with the pigs. He's eating what the pigs are eating. Nobody's helping him. He's run out of money. He's come to the end. See, that's the thing. A lot of times people, they, they have an inheritance and things go good for a while, but then they run away. They run away from the father's house. And then after a while, it'll last for a little bit because they're still riding off the blessings that they got whenever they were living for God. And then they run away. And it takes a little while, but they think things are okay. Partying it up, living their life. All their friends are having a good time. They're surrounded by friends because they've got... You know, all the money and they've got everything's going good and but when that dries up then they all leave. And it says when he finally came to himself. You know what that means? When he finally sits down and thinks about his situation, sometimes we gotta stop and think instead of just continuing on in the same old thing, day in, day out, day in, day out, and just continuing with the same routine, doing the same old thing. He finally came to himself. That means he had to think about what he was doing. You know what? This isn't working. This mess is not working for me. But that means I'm going to have to change something. Because it's not just going to come. Me coming here every day, hanging with the pigs, is not going to change my situation. I've got to do something. The pigs are not going to change for me. Nobody's going to change for me. 
I got to do something. So he had to stop and think. And he thinks and thinks. If I at least go back to my dad's house, at least my servants have a better than this. Or at least his servants, the ones that work for him, have it better than what I've got it right now. So he picks up, he goes home, and there his dad is. Ready to receive him with loving arms, he brings him in and immediately gives him a robe and a ring. Immediately. He doesn't say, well, son, you've been gone for a while. You know, you changed the family. You were an embarrassment. You, I don't know what you thought you were doing. I taught you better than this. Brings him back in, washes him up, puts a new robe on him and a ring immediately. That robe represents righteousness. He didn't have to earn his way back in. He said, no, you're not going to be a servant. You come in as my son. You come in, back into my inheritance. Gives him a robe of righteousness. A robe that represents the father. It doesn't represent a slave, and it doesn't represent a servant. It represents the father. So when he wears that robe, and people see him, they look and say, oh, that's so-and-so's son. Because if he wears the garments of a slave, they would say, oh, he's a slave. Yeah. He's a servant. Yeah. But he gives them the robe of righteousness as if nothing ever happened. And then he gives them a ring. You know what that ring is? It's authority. It's sonship. It's so that... When the son goes out to, to tell the, the servants what they need to do in the field, the ring shows that he has come from the father, that the father approves of him to rule and reign. He gives him authority right off the bat. And then guess what? The eldest son, what does he do? He gets mad. <laughs> it's like, Dad, I have worked for you. And of course, in our natural mind, we're thinking, yeah. You know, he squandered. He squandered his half, his portion. And here I've been working. I've been faithful. I've been doing all of this all this time. And there's no appreciation. Dad's throwing him a big party. Killing the fattened calf. He's got a feast going on inside the house. I'm not going in. I'm not having nothing to do with it. I never got any of that. And the eldest son got bitter. He was religious. But you know what? The father said to him, you had all this at your disposal the whole time. And sometimes we can be operating like that eldest son. Acting like, well, we're just working. We're just working. We're just, you know, this is, what, well, this is what's expected of us. This is what I'm obligated to do. We just work for the Lord. Just work. But we're not having the right mentality around it. We work because we, we love. But the inheritance is ours and at our disposal. It was the whole time. And the son, we're not sure how it ended up. It doesn't really say. Did he say okay? Soften his heart and go back in and welcome the brother home and get a, a change of heart? Or did he act like a joke? We don't know. 
But that's the decision that we even have to make. We have to have the realization. God gives us the robe of righteousness. He gives us the, the ring of authority yeah. to rule and reign. Yeah. But we have to renew our mind. I wish I could go into a, the, the, next, the next level of that. Because it, it begins to, to go into the mindset. If we don't understand that we're a king, then we'll operate like a slave.